You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode... 491 of this podcast. Today is October 30th, 2022, and that means we have just two days before it is No Shave November. And I thought it would be fun, since I don't know how busy tomorrow will be, and tomorrow, if you're listening to this on your way to work or your drive around town, you'll be one day away from No Shave November. It would be fun if we talked about facial hair on men specifically. Sorry, ladies, I'm not trying to exclude you, but uh, typically, typically this topic does not apply to you personally. Although, <clears throat> yeah, I guess in 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 indirect way, in an in 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 direct way, you are affected by what we men do with our Facial hair, I think that's fair to say. But uh, yeah, what about facial hair? I recently, as of last weekend, was trying to trim my beard and got a little bit overzealous, I guess you could say. I should have gone with a different adjustment on the trimmer. And yes, I wanted to have it shorter all around, but not as short as I went. And Essentially, all that was left was a very short stubble over most of my face. Then the soul patch being, by and large, intact, and uh, the mustache still uh, fully there. But before we get into (laughs) what to make of what was left of my facial hair and what the reactions were from my wife and my kids, and also uh, more of a deep dive in general of the science of facial hair, what signals do beards, stubble, and mustaches send to others, an article from theartofmanliness.com, written March 25th, 2014, last updated September 25th, 2021. Let's talk briefly about some items that are in the news, and real briefly, we'll go through these, plus I have a question, a bonus question, which I won't tell you until the end, uh... We might do a full episode on this question, but stay tuned until the very, very end to get this bonus question. And uh, also, too, if you would, give me some answers on that bonus question. But from the top, some current events items, a story from Commodore Vanderbilt, if that is his real name, which I'm sure it isn't, at notthebee.com, October 29th, 2022, which was yesterday. GM is suspending advertising on Twitter until it sees the direction of the platform under their new ownership. Uh, It's worth noting that as a direct competitor to Musk's electric car company, this move by General Motors is likely influenced by several factors, not just feigned concern over political differences, political correctness, uh, social engineering, or reverse engineering, if you may. If you will, GM suspending advertising on Twitter uh, essentially is advertising. 
if you want to think of it that way. They are advertising and getting people talking about them and also positioning themselves to be, you know, the uh, truly socially responsible, as far as the left is concerned, car company. Uh, their electric cars are direct competitors for Tesla Motors. And so there you go. It's neither here nor there. There's lots of reasons that people do things, including, but not limited to, the reasons that they state. And what are they really hoping to see with the direction of the platform under their new ownership? And that's a direct quote from GM. What they're really trying to see is, what's the reception, right? How radioactive is Twitter? How radioactive is Elon Musk? Uh, are people going to leave Twitter? Are they going to think ill of GM if GM continues to advertise there? And also, as stated, just you talking about them pulling their advertising for right now is advertising of a sort. So very clever. Uh, also, not quite so clever if you're paying attention. In other news from Not the Bee, Daniel Payne, if that is his real name, which I'm more inclined to suppose that is his real name, Daniel Payne might be a pseudonym, but it's not as obvious a one as Commodore Vanderbilt. Uh, October 28th, I was not aware the human mind could withstand these absolute crushing levels of irony. And this one is, again, about Twitter because it's kind of a big deal this week and uh, probably for some time to come. Truth be told, if the past several months of rumors and updates about is Musk going to do it? Is he going to back out? Is Twitter going to let him do it? Is you know the U.S. government going to let him do it? They're investigating Musk and what's going on here? Like, uh, you know, is there something fishy about how you've been announcing or informing uh, regulators and the market? And are you trying to drive the price down to get a better deal? And oh boy, you know, What's, you know, the legality of this? Okay, I guess we'll let you do it. It's been in the news quite a lot over the past year that he was planning on doing it, uh, that is acquiring Twitter. Then he actually did acquire Twitter. And now the question is, uh, how much in the news will it be that he has acquired Twitter and the changes? And what kind of a, an impact is that going to have? I think a big one, I think a really, really big one. You can expect there to be a lot more coming down the pike in the coming year. And then at a certain point, either Twitter will completely implode, which I don't expect, or we're going to see some major moves as it is possible once again to speak freely in this public square. Twitter has been the public square. And the test for whether that's the case is how often or seldom you can get through any other news item without highlighted tweets from various public figures or just common folk being highlighted in the news piece. You know, highlighted tweets being highlighted in the news piece. They're not just highlighted there. They're highlighted on Twitter and people are reacting to these things, responding to these things, but only if you see them, right? Only if you can actually see what people are tweeting. And that's important to note. If some tweets have not been highlightable because they haven't been visible because they were shadow banned or people couldn't make those tweets, couldn't tweet those tweets in the first place. Well, then it's going to be a different landscape if news outlets, the media 
uh, are highlighting tweets that weren't allowed really to be seen, weren't seeing the light of day over the past few years. So the absolute crushing levels of irony, what are they? For instance, for example, a CNN story, David Papp tweeted out, anxious Twitter users find few alternatives to platform after Musk deal closes. And of course, the irony here is that's exactly what conservatives and libertarians and independents and just outlier voices uh, who've been deplatformed or shadow banned or just, you know, didn't want to be on Twitter anymore because who wants to just play roulette all the time when they're trying to weigh in on something important? Is this going to get me suspended? Is this going to get me flagged? Is this going to get me deplatformed? Why even bother in the first place if you're always running the risk that someone else's arbitrary dislike of your viewpoint is going to get you booted? You know, why state your opinion if you're constantly getting muted? It's just a recipe for frustration and aggravation. Not to mention the suspicious level of bot activity that might be, uh, you know, algorithmically driven harassment of folks. If they don't shadow ban you, they might sick a whole bunch of bots on you to hurl abuse on you in this or that tweet uh, to you know, basically you know, dissuade others that, you know, hey, yeah, your viewpoint will be public and it will be visible, but so also and all the more so what kind of a negative reaction you get will be very visible. And will that negative reaction possibly be bots that are being nasty to you? They're programmed to be nasty to you. Those who dislike Musk's new plan for content moderation, as very generally outlined, finding it hard to find an alternative to Twitter uh, is kind of rich because that's what conservatives have been saying for the past several years. That's what independents have been saying for the past several years. Yeah, we tried to go over to Parler and then big tech put the kibosh to Parler and Big media made it sound like anybody who was still on Parler was a racist, literally Hitler, uh, Nazi, fascist, racist. Did I mention racist? Misogynistic, uh, election denier, climate denier, science denier, you know, you name it. It was hard to find somewhere else to go for folks like me when Twitter no longer was an option. And so also with Facebook. See also Facebook. It's been hard to find an alternative. And it's rich that the folks who were for the silencing of people like me for several years are now saying, well, hey, you know, it's where else are we supposed to go? You know, <laughs> it, right. Exactly. Exactly. That's why this is a big deal. Thank you for confirming what we were saying for the past several years. But in other news, Courtney Wheel at TheBlaze.com published a piece yesterday titled Group May Monitor Ballot Drop Boxes in Arizona Federal Judge Rules. It is okay for this group, Clean Elections USA, to camp out at two ballot drop boxes in Maricopa County, Arizona in particular, just to make sure that no funny business is going on. You don't have somebody showing up with boxes of ballots 
and depositing those or opening up the ballot box and then removing legitimate votes if they just so happen to be for a candidate the tamperers don't like. There were uh, objections that this group monitoring these ballot boxes amounts to intimidation because apparently they are armed. But uh, you know what? As long as they're not brandishing weapons, pointing them at people who are coming to vote or threatening people who are coming to vote legitimately, I don't have a problem with this. Uh, I really don't. Now, I do think this should be the proper domain of local law enforcement. And I'm surprised with all of the concerns, the legitimate concerns there are about election tampering that we don't have uh, you know, local law enforcement posted up to watch for funny business. But if an independent group says, hey, we just want to stay nearby and observe and surveil and watch to make sure nobody's tampering, uh, I think that's legit. Now, if that changes to where you've got anybody of any political party trying to threaten voters who are legitimately voting, they are legally entitled to, under U.S. law, uh, vote, even if they're voting for a candidate I don't like, well, that's just the way that the process goes. That is that is the rule of law, but it is not the rule of law to have felons or dead people voting. It's not the rule of law to have you know anyone voting for other people who are not inclined to vote uh, or voting double to where it cancels out the vote of someone else. Right. If you know that I'm going to vote Republican, for instance, and then you cast a ballot pretending to be me and your vote cancels out my vote because somebody who catches on to that uh, either counts both votes and it's you know one to one, you vote for the Democrat under me and I vote for the Republican as me legitimately. Well, that's not legal. That's not democracy. That's actually what threatens our democracy. But if you vote Democrat and you are legally entitled to vote in the U.S. or in this jurisdiction, and I vote Republican and that cancels out, well then, okay, you know, I might not like that you voted Democrat. I might think that's extraordinarily uh, foolish and that you need a lesson in Christian theology and what God says he loves and expects and requires and commands and promises in the way of blessings or else discipline. But I do believe you should be free to vote for somebody that I don't care for. I also believe you should be free to not vote at all. And I also believe that some independent person or group should be free to keep tabs and watch and double check. So I think this is a good ruling. I think it's a good ruling if on any side of the political spectrum, the political divide, you have someone threatening violence against those who are legitimately, legally casting their ballots and voting. Well, that is unacceptable and that needs to stop right quick. You know, whether they are supposedly serving the greater good as I see it, they're not actually, Right. The big idea is not just to get this or that candidate to win or to lose, or this or that political party to win or to lose. The big idea 
is, are we doing what God says is good and right? Are we wanting the truth to win out? Are we wanting to live in a beautiful country? That's the big question. And even if a candidate I don't like wins, even if a candidate I like loses, so long as that's the main thing, then I think we have hope. I think we have a reason to be able to look forward to working together in some form or fashion by God's grace. But in other news, Zachary Steber reported for the Epoch Times, October 28th, with the headline, FBI asks court for 66 years to release information from Seth Rich's computer. Seth Rich, you may or may not be aware, was a Democrat National Committee staffer who was killed on a street in Washington, D.C. in mid-2016. No one was ever arrested in connection to the murder, but now the FBI is asking a U.S. court to reverse its order that it produce information from Seth Rich's laptop computer. And I quote, if the court does not, the Bureau wants 66 years to produce the information. It's a very curious thing. That's a very, very curious thing. Also curious, U.S. District Judge Amos Mazant uh, was an Obama appointee, is an Obama appointee. And he's actually told the FBI that they need to comply with a FOIA request, Freedom of Information Act request, from a Brian Huddleston from Texas wanting to know what was on the laptop. But it's a curious thing, right? I'm not pretending to know what is on the laptop. I don't know. And I'm not pretending to know what Seth Rich knew. But there is suspicion of foul play, that Seth Rich knew some things. He had some dirt. Working for the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, uh, being a staffer for the DNC, it's a very curious thing that he might have had some dirt and it might have gotten him killed. It's all the more suspicious that the FBI wants 66 years to produce the information. Why? Right? Why? Well, if the FBI has been uh, consumed with partisan bias for the Democrats and against Republicans, I guess it fits. But what else would potentially explain or justify Seth Rich's not just death, but his laptop being withheld from a FOIA request? Uh, what else would explain the FBI wanting 66 years? Basically, 66 years, if that is agreed to, that they don't have to tell us at all, they can keep it top secret for 66 years. Basically, that's as good as saying this will not be known during the lifetime of anyone who might potentially be implicated as being involved in Seth Rich's death. I mean, that's, that's the long and short of it. That's the suspicion that maybe goes without saying if this is just being reported, just the facts. That's good journalism. Uh, but I'll say the quiet part out loud. The suspicion is... Somebody in the DNC or the deep state or several someones, lots of someones, had reasons to want Seth Rich dead. We may not know what they are, but it's 
proper for us to want to know what those reasons might be and to get to the bottom of it. For instance, for example, in case there's foreign entanglements and there's international security risks that might be in the mix here. Life LeMahieu over at thedailywire.com, for instance, gives us an example of what kind of foreign entanglements or international intrigue could be potentially in the mix with a situation like this. Dem House staffer fired after alleged work for Chinese embassy unveiled. And I quote, a staffer for Rep. Don Beyer, Democrat from Virginia, has been fired after the aide's alleged ties to the Chinese embassy were exposed, according to a new report. National Review reported on Friday that Barbara Hamlet, a scheduler for Beyer, was no longer in the congressman's office after investigations by the House Sergeant at Arms and Beyer's office. The investigations found that Hamlet had been setting up meetings between congressional offices and the Chinese embassy. Quote, Congressman Beyer was totally unaware of these activities prior to being contacted by the House Sergeant at Arms. Aaron Fritschner, Beyer's deputy chief of staff, told National Review on Friday, quote, as soon as he learned of them, he followed every directive he was given by security officials. The staffer in question is no longer employed by the office of Congressman Beyer. Uh, supposedly, Congressman Beyer is deeply upset about the revelations and has remained resolute in his goal, his commitment to protecting the U.S. from threats by China. He's been critical of China's reaction to Hong Kong protests and a desire for democracy in Hong Kong after China uh, annexed the island. He's also been opposed to repression and oppression and abuse of China's Muslim Uyghur population in Xinjiang. And he's also been an advocate for Tibet and Taiwan and their interests over and against China's claims. So it's a very troubling thing. That's the long and short of it. It's a very troubling thing that this has happened quite a lot in recent years that we have China infiltrating the offices of the administrations of the staff of our politicians and also our corporations and also our higher education uh, administrations. It's very concerning that China is infiltrating and ingratiating itself in many cases at all levels. There's an excellent docuseries produced by The Daily Wire and Lee Smith titled China, The Enemy Within. I would highly recommend you check it out. It talks about China's influence over Dr. Fauci and Joe Biden and the Biden family. Also, their infiltration of our education system and Hollywood and major sports leagues like the NBA. A lot of attention is spent, uh, committed to, focused on LeBron James, for instance, and you know several high ups in the NBA with regards to any criticism whatsoever of China versus their very outspoken criticism of supposed oppression here in the U.S. Uh, along racial lines, along ethnic lines, 
definitely go check that out for more information. But to my way of thinking, there's a couple of possibilities going back to the Seth Rich laptop. If he's got information on there that perhaps indicated, uh, you know, foreign influence within the Democrat party here in the U.S., that's something the American people need to know. If he's got information that the Democrat National Convention was coordinating, let's say, fraud domestically across the U.S. in 2020, or planning to, I mean, he he was murdered well before 2020, but if he's got evidence that would implicate the Democrat Party nationwide in the run-up to the 2016 election, or plans for what to do in the midterms, 2018 elections between 2020 and 2016, or potentially in the run-up to the 2020 election, if there were things that might give credibility to concerns about uh, the integrity of our elections, where Democrats are concerned, the American people need to know that. Even if it means that the Democratic Party goes the way of the dinosaur, that doesn't mean that democracy goes the way of the dinosaur. That doesn't mean that democracy is over or that we no longer have democratic components, major, major democratic components in our form of government. But the rule of law requires that we not just take somebody's word for it or an institution's word for it when they say, we're for democracy. Well, wait a second. Are you really? Not if you're cheating, you're not. If you're really for democracy, then you can't also be for bribes and kickbacks and invalidating legitimate votes just because they're going to somebody you don't like. If you're really for democracy, you can't be inflating the vote tallies of people you do like by having dead people and felons and illegal immigrants uh, counted. You, You can't do that. You can't just make up votes to close the gap when your candidate, your chosen preferred candidate is going to lose. That's not the greater good. The ends do not justify the means. You will get very different ends if you employ those means. And I think this is the reason why we have election laws. This is the reason why we do have poll watchers. This is the reason why we do have audits. This is the reason why you do have security to at least supposedly keep foreign governments from being able to hack in and change vote tallies. This is the reason why you do have mechanisms in place that were almost all bypassed or sought uh, bypasses for in the 2020 election. You have safeguards because there's a lot on the line in an election, especially in an, an American election. There's a lot on the line. And there are such things as cheaters. <laughs> there is such a thing as fraud. There is such a thing as infiltration and sabotage. There is such a thing as corruption. If such were not the case, then we wouldn't need government and we wouldn't need uh, elections except to reward those who do good. But man is not inherently good. Christ has not returned again a second time just yet and made his saints perfect morally yet. Certainly, he has not made all mankind morally perfect or absent a sinful nature. And so as such, as Romans 13 says, governing authority is needed 
to reward and incentivize those who do good, which means governing authority needs to know what good is, and to punish those who do evil, which means the governing authority needs to know what evil is and not be rewarding evil, not be punishing those who do good. So I really do think the FOIA request should be complied with, and we should know what is on Seth Rich's laptop. Now that Elon Musk has Twitter, maybe just maybe some intrepid uh, whistleblower or journalist or private citizen who might know will actually be able to get uh, in contact with an outlet like the New York Post. And if they do a story, it will actually get circulated in a timely manner so the American people know uh, and can make an informed decision about who they vote for or don't. Uh, Also, too, maybe just maybe we can implore our elected officials to hold accountable and investigate and audit our government agencies, not just their staff. If, If the staff for the Democrat congressman from Virginia can be infiltrated by the Chinese government, supposedly, allegedly, we think, well, then so also can every other bureaucracy uh, in the U.S. government or at a state level or a local level. So also can our media. So also can our other institutions. If they are influential and meaningful institutions and bureaucracies and agencies, then you have to know that the Chinese government is going to want to infiltrate them and want to gain access to our secrets. But more to the point, gain access to the levers of power and to have power over us, the American people. So we need to have the information in order to be able to safeguard ourselves. It's a matter of national security that we would know these things, not just that the FBI would know these things and let us know in 66 years when most of us are dead and those who are still alive are too old and tired and irrelevant probably at that point to be able to do much about it. But lastly, moving on, last current events piece uh, I want to talk about is an article from the beginning of October, October 9th, actually, by Conrad Swanson at the Denver Post, election deniers infiltrate ranks of poll watchers and election judges ahead of November midterms, Colorado clerks warn And this one here, uh, I'm not going to read the full thing for you. Even just the headline, even just the headline is enough to go on what's being insinuated here. Actually, ironically, this is, (laughs) again, of a piece with, you know, Twitter users who loved the way that Twitter was suppressing people they didn't like or disagreed with prior to Elon Musk buying the company. Uh, You know, just like that irony of them saying, well, there's not really much of anywhere else to go to be still involved in the discussions happening in the public square, the marketplace of ideas. So also this, this here, what exactly is the end goal? When you read a headline or when the headline is written and published, more to the point, that poll watchers and election judges might be election deniers. What's being implied here is that you can't trust the poll watchers, and the election judges. Am I right? Of course. We've been told over the past two years 
that we shouldn't listen to, we shouldn't empower, we shouldn't trust election deniers, so-called. And of course, too, you can guarantee when election deniers, that two-word phrase, description, uh, is used by the Denver Post, you can guarantee this is a reference to Trump voters. This is a reference to Republicans. This is a reference to those who have concerns that Democrats are cheating and carrying out election fraud. This is not a reference to folks like uh, the failed candidate for Georgia governor, Stacey Abrams. This is not a reference to folks like Hillary Clinton or Al Gore, who also challenged election results and have challenged election results for, I think, 20-some years. This is not a reference to Democrats who have raised objections to, let's say, Republicans uh, redrawing district boundaries to figure out where are the congressional districts most intuitively to be found. This is not a reference to claims of systemic racism vis-a-vis gerrymandering or not wanting illegal immigrants to vote. No, no. Election deniers is a stand-in for folks who don't think that the 2020 election was free and fair with regards to Trump and Biden. Now, that established, to use the word infiltrate, the ranks of poll watchers and election judges have been infiltrated. Well, this would seem to imply that election deniers so-called, but more to the point, folks who are concerned about election fraud in the 2020 election, do not belong in the ranks of poll watchers and election judges. Let me say that again. To say they've infiltrated is to imply that they don't belong there. So really what this is actually saying, it's a lot of very roundabout and subtle insinuations. I could rewrite this headline as folks who are concerned about the integrity of the 2020 election don't belong in the ranks of poll watchers and election judges ahead of the November midterms. But there's a kind of irony here because what you're implying, what you're setting up is if you guys lose in the midterms, Democrats, if you lose in the midterms, it might be because the poll watchers and the election judges were election deniers, so-called, right? Which is to say, you're setting it up for you to question the validity of the 2022 elections based on who the poll watchers and the election judges are. Now, if that's the case, you're setting it up for you to be the election deniers. You're preemptively denying the validity of this election on the premise that it matters who the poll watchers and election judges are. Now, if you can stay with me here, I don't want to lose you. If you can do that, then you're saying that it's fair game, which is to say you're actually invalidating the use of this phrase, election deniers, by your own reasoning, by your own insinuations, by your own suspicions. The underlying premise here is that it matters to the integrity of the election coming up next week, or this week, actually, because I guess if you count your weeks Sunday to Saturday, it's this week. But you're saying that it matters who the poll watchers and election judges are 
to the integrity of the election, which is to say also that those who question the integrity of the 2020 elections have something to go on. If their kind were barred from observing the voting process, the counting process, if they were barred from auditing the votes, if they were barred from bringing lawsuits to trial, you know, it's a very roundabout and dishonest way to argue to say, well, no evidence was brought forward in a court of law. Yeah, but were any lawsuits allowed to go to court? See, that's the question. Or were they dismissed? Dismissed, 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 dismissed. Now now we can say that no evidence was brought forward in a court of law. Well, yeah, because you dismissed all the cases. See, that's not quite the same thing as there being no evidence. That you refused to see the evidence, hear the evidence, have the evidence aired in court is not the same thing as saying that there is no evidence. Also, too, all we need to go on really is your insinuation here in the Denver Post, Conrad Swanson, that it matters to the integrity of the election who the poll watchers and election judges are. I'm not going to belabor the point. Hopefully it's clear enough with that much said. But on a more fun note, actually, upstream of all this is not just theology, what we believe about God, ourselves, one another, creation in the abstract. To some extent, I dare say, downstream of those things or contained within those things is what we think, what we believe, what we hold to be true and good and beautiful about facial hair. Yes, you heard that right. I want to talk about facial hair because it's not just the election that's coming up this week. The beginning of No Shave November is also coming up this next week. As such, I've got some growing to do because except for my mustache, except for my soul patch, I shaved off all but a little bit of stubble of my beard last week. And it's coming back. It's growing back. And I will abide by No Shave November. I typically do. It's important. My birthday and my anniversary are both in the month of November, as well as Thanksgiving. And if you ask me, there's no better way to celebrate your birthday, your anniversary, Thanksgiving, if you are a man, then with a good beard. And so as such, we've got this article from theartofmanliness.com, tongue-in-cheek. Uh, I'm going to treat this very seriously, which is to say, don't take too, too seriously what I'm saying here about beards. If you can't grow a beard, we could still be friends. It's okay. It's all right. Uh, I don't think less of you. Some men are just not able to grow beards very well. They just It comes in patchy. I've heard several friends of mine say that. They don't grow beards because they just really can't. Just It's always patchy. Um, please don't be offended. I don't want to lose any friends over this. I really did upset a dear, dear friend of mine several years ago when I wrote a piece about beards and why men should grow them at On The Rocks blog. On The Dot Rocks, you can look up beards. Uh, I think the main piece, the main article 
is still up uh, with regards to beards on beards and why men should grow them, I think is the title of it. But I don't want to lose any friends this time around in talking about facial hair. And yet I do want to treat half seriously, at least this topic of facial hair, because I think our facial hair does men, it does uh, send certain signals. And if you are clean shaven, that sends some signals. If you grow a beard just wild and free without trimming it at all, at all, that sends certain signals. And then also there's several variations, several ways that you can trim your facial hair that, again, communicate certain things. So from the top, Antonio published this piece originally in 2014, and then it was updated in 2021, which is fun. And I quote, wouldn't it be nice if there was a yes or no answer to every question of aesthetics? It's certainly how magazines and pop culture present things when it comes to how a man should or shouldn't look. But that's rarely how the human brain works. As we've discussed before, in regards to style, there are definitely some black and white rules. But for the most part, each man needs to discover what works best for him. He needs to express himself through his style choices within some basic frameworks. One fascinatingly complex issue that has come back into the spotlight recently is that of facial hair. It's not something you can break down into basic good-bad or right-wrong strategies. It all depends on the individual. Forget anyone who tells you that beards are a 100% guarantee to be an alpha male lady killer. Also forget anyone who says they're an automatic job loser and impossible to pair with a business suit. It's just not that simple. With a little bit of research, you can figure out the length and style of facial hair that's right for you your life, your career, and your goals. All right, now, some thoughts, right? That's the first section. Some thoughts here, Antonio, if I can call you that. Yes, and also no. So when I wrote my article at the blog several years ago, I approached this from a bit of a different angle. And my reasoning was... For one, if we read in the Bible that long hair is appropriate for women, that there is a glory for women in long hair, but it's shameful for men to have long hair. If we can read that, then shouldn't there be some kind of an equivalent for men that men have a glory? If it's not long hair, well, then what is it? Well, part of the answer I've thought about this in the intervening span of time. Part of the answer is that your woman, your wife is your glory. So in my case, my wife is my glory. And actually the scriptures speak to that, that woman is the glory of man. And for that matter, that man is supposed to be the glory of God And so there's a sense in which we as men are called to reflect God's glory in creation uniquely as men, right? We are made in God's image, both male and female. And yet the way in which we are image bearers differs depending on whether we are male or female. And I don't want to get lost in diagnosing how our 
culture in America in the year 2022 feels about that, you know as well as I do, there is a hostility, animus, confusion, or ignorance on this point. But I want to talk about what do I read in the Bible and do we understand what the implications are of what we read in our Bible, where it relates to man being the glory of God. 1 Corinthians eleven six through 8. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. Now stop right there. I think when we read this, certainly in my case, when I read this, let me just say that, and you can tell me if you disagree, if you have no difficulties with it. I suspect you probably do, even if you haven't identified them. I am still stuck on verse 6 when I get to verse 7 and verse 8. I'm still stuck back on verse 6, hemming and hawing like, oh, wait a second, really? Like, women should cut their hair short or shave their heads? What? Like, that's not, that's not great. What is this talking about? Well, that's a topic for another day. I hate to break it to you, but key in on verse seven and eight for just a minute with regards to men and with regards to this question of beards and facial hair. A man ought not to cover his head. I was just saying men can't wear hats. They can't wear caps. Put that question off to the side also for a second. If you will, if, if you will permit me, let's put the question of head coverings off to the side and key in on what is being claimed as the reason for the difference between men and women. Man, verse 7, man is the image and glory of God. Whoa, whoa, wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. Really? Well, that's what it says. And what all does that mean? I think we have to go back to Genesis to find out to some extent. But man is the image and glory of God in creation. Woman, and this is where it gets even more astounding, woman is the glory of man. And so on some level, you could say that my glory is in my wife being lovely and feminine. And I think that's true, but I don't think that's all there is to it. I don't think that's all. It can be true that my wife reflects well on me Let's say I buy her some earrings in Idaho Springs, which I did. I bought her some nice earrings there when we went. Thanks again to Luke and Kate Bergman for making that possible. And Kate, especially volunteering to Lauren. Hey, you know, would you guys like to get away for a night or two? I bought my wife some earrings at one of the shops in downtown, Old Town, Idaho Springs. And she wore them and they were lovely. And she had her hair nice and long and beautiful and she's beautiful and that reflects well on me. But I don't think that's all. I don't think that's where everything just stops. I think men being able to, by God's grace, in the majority of cases, I think able to grow facial hair is special. And I think that's a self-evident truth. I think when you look at lions, for instance, 
you look at a male lion with a mane, and it's not to say that all big cats have manes. Tigers, for instance, don't have manes like lions do. Tigers are glorious. They're even bigger cats. And that's a kind of glory that tigers are bigger cats than, let's say, an African lion. But a male lion, a male African lion with a glorious mane is just that. He's glorious. There's something particular and magnificent and glorious about a male African lion by virtue of his mane. And the female of the species doesn't have it. So also in our context as humans, in the majority of cases, women do not grow facial hair. Usually if they do, there's something going on with regards to hormones and you'll have that. Or in the case of men too, there's things going on with hormones that might have to do with diet or genetics or environmental factors or stress. But a man being able to grow a beard on a just a very general, basic level is special. And if a man is able to, I think he should keep a tab open in his mind as to what he's communicating by growing that beard or styling it in this or that way. Now, an interesting thing I tied in to this topic in my blog post several years ago on beards and why men should grow them is we actually find in the Levitical law a prohibition on trimming the beard or the hair on the sides of one's head. And I don't think the big point here is that all men everywhere are prohibited from trimming their beards. I think the Levitical priests in particular were commanded not to trim their beards. Also too, the neighboring verse tells them to not tattoo themselves for the dead like the heathens do. But for one, and this would make a fun episode to do in the future, for one, I think this is also not for all men everywhere in every context, that no men anywhere are allowed to get tattoos, but the Levitical priests, at a minimum, not allowed to get tattoos. Or a particular kind of tattoo for the dead, which had to do with pagan ancestor worship or magic. And that's not the reason why everybody gets tattoos. Some people get tattoos just for funsies, and there's nothing magical about it per se, but it's just a way of expressing themselves. Can that be unwise or questionable or tacky or what have you? Sure. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a sin. You can say, I think that tattoo of a Care Bear on your ankle is going to be a regret. (laughs) It's a regret in the making. But does that mean it's a sin? No. Could it be folly? Sure. I think it is. I would never get a Care Bear tattooed on my ankle. I have no tattoos, by the way. But I might get one at some point. I could see myself potentially getting a tattoo. Potentially. But that's a topic for another day, too. Facial hair and societal perception. Antonio continues. Does a beard look good on you? Should you shave the stubble before your date? Do you need to give yourself a trim before the big interview? Scientific research can tell you what other people are thinking when they look at your beard, which should give you a good idea of whether a beard is the right choice for your life. Now, this bothers me to some extent. There's some practical wisdom here 
Is your beard going to be well-received? Yes or no? Are people going to think well of you for having a good beard? I think that can be a legitimate factor in your decision-making. I don't think that should be the primary factor. I don't think that should be the sole factor. I actually think this gets to a fundamental of masculinity and independence and being a virtuous man and being an honorable man or a respectable man is not just shaving off your beard if other people don't like it or growing your beard in a certain fashion, this or that fashion, just because you're trying to gain someone else's good opinion. I think that also communicates something. If you're always just dressing however other people want you to dress, that can be a a sign of weakness, actually, a sign of insecurity. And that can actually have the opposite effect of people thinking less of you because they think, oh, well, you just need us to think well of you so much. What's up with that? What are you compensating for? Or why do you lack so much confidence? Right? I think it can be wise and good to take note of what is going to be thought well of and honor others or make practical judgment calls as to, you know, if you've got other things to deal with, bigger fish to fry than people making comment about your beard, you say, okay, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to do the fashionable thing for right now until we get these other things squared away. And then I'll maybe revisit my facial hair choices. You know, I think that can be legitimate, but I don't think there should be a neediness about what we do with our facial hair, if that makes sense. I think neediness in general, whether you're shaving because you need people's good opinion or you're growing a beard because you need other people's good opinion, I think both ways actually can have a boomerang effect of decreasing other people's respect for you if you're not careful. But if you're coming to that question from a position of strength, which is to say, I don't want to be distracted with silly arguments about it, that can be a wise and respectable and respect-earning attitude. Uh, So also, strategically, now and then, uh, if I dare say it, you can put certain people on notice if they are getting presumptuous by making fashion choices, and people do this all the time, making fashion choices that you know they're going to disapprove of just because you're letting them know, you're communicating to them, I am not your subject, right? Now you can communicate, hey, I am your servant, and that can be wise and appropriate and peaceable and ingratiating sometimes. But it really does depend on, is this somebody you should be serving Is this a way in which you should be serving this person? Are you potentially setting the wrong tone for the relationship or are you potentially setting the right tone for the relationship? Either way, one way or the other. Antonio continues, here's the most basic breakdown. When you have a distinctive facial hair, anything visible, even stubble, these are the traits people tend to associate with you. Aggression and dominance, maturity. Three traits he lists aggression and dominance and maturity a clean-shaven man on the other hand is associated with more of the following traits sociability health and cleanliness now i would push back personally i'm not speaking here to public perception 
which changes and shifts. But sociability, um, I don't necessarily want to be sociable more with a clean-shaven man. Not necessarily less. Like, it doesn't necessarily mean that I give him negative points, but I certainly don't give him any additional points for being clean-shaven. Health and cleanliness? Um, No. You know, speaking as a man who has had a beard for most of my adult life, no, I don't look at a guy with a beard and think to myself, that guy is less healthy for having a beard. Or the guy who's clean-shaven, that guy is healthier because he shaves his beard. So also, with regards to cleanliness, I don't think to myself, that guy is cleaner. Now, there is embedded in the term clean-shaven, this word clean, but I don't take that bait. I don't think a man is cleaner for shaving his beard any more than I think a man is cleaner if he shaves his head, like the top of his head. If he wants to be really clean, is he going to shave his eyebrows too? No, that's ridiculous. At a certain point, you say, what is the clean or dirty state of whatever hair he's got? Just like with clothes, right? Just like with clothes. Somebody wearing clothes doesn't make them cleaner or dirtier. You pay attention to whether the clothes, whether the clothes themselves are clean or dirty. So also with facial hair. I think that's pretty obvious. It's obvious to me anyways. Aggression and facial hair. Next section, Antonio continues. A beard is a sign of active testosterone in the body, and human brains recognize that as coming with the potential for more aggression. As a result, men with beards are often seen as more angry, aggressive, or dominant, even if their personality has none of those traits. In one study, photographs of bearded men and non-bearded men making the same aggressive facial expression, scowling, baring teeth, etc., were compared The bearded men were rated as significantly more aggressive and intimidating, even when all other factors were identical. That's not inherently a bad thing, but it is a thing to keep in mind if you choose to wear a beard. For example, it's never a great idea to be the guy at the front of a protest rally face-to-face with the cops and also sporting a huge beard. See, I would disagree. I would disagree. I would say sometimes it actually might be a really great idea. It might be a really good idea if aggression or the perception of aggression is for one a confidence builder in the people who are allies of yours affiliates of yours who want to be on your side or if the perception of more aggression more testosterone in you is a deterrence of unnecessary aggression in others and let me just be very blunt If I were at a protest and I've got a big beard and I'm being peaceable, but I also look formidable and some person who doesn't want me there, let's say, if it happened to be law enforcement, I don't think it would be, but if it happened to be law enforcement, feels threatened just by virtue of me having a beard or being capable of aggression, if they feel threatened and they somehow feel the need to assert dominance with me just because I have a beard, that's a problem. Not that I have a beard and am protesting or I'm on the front lines of a protest. That's a problem in that cop that actually might be best to have brought out into the open in a more obvious way, to make a more obvious example for all present or observing to see. 
I know that might be confusing, and I'm not talking about baiting people, but I am saying if there's that kind of capricious, arbitrary, fickle, insecure reaction from other people that they see a man being strong, capable, assertive, aka masculine, as being inherently threatening to them, even if he's taking a legitimate position and doing legitimate things, the problem lies not with the man for being masculine. The problem lies with those who are so threatened by masculinity that they feel the need to eliminate it or from their field of view or remove it from the public square. That's the real problem, actually, truth be told. So also, too, I think if we were to dig deeper into the dynamic among those you're alongside in any institution, if your beard, men, potentially signals more assertiveness, more aggressiveness, I don't know that I like the term dominance, but more of an orientation towards dominion in a Christian sense. Again, so long as before God and man, you are conducting yourself in an honorable way, that is an asset, that optic and its effect on morale and group cohesion and confidence among your peers, that is an asset. That is not a liability. And you should definitely put that front and center, not at the back of the bus. And you definitely, to my way of thinking, should not go neutering that because some people are going to react poorly to it or with hostility to it. Next section, Antonio writes about maturity and facial hair. Since the ability to grow a beard is a sign of physical maturity in men, it is naturally associated with age and grown manhood, as is evidenced by a study that found that beards were associated with maturity, power, and higher social status by both men and women. Men with beards are also predictably perceived as being more masculine or manly than men without. A large 2013 study asked both men and women to rate photographs that showed one man with varying stages of facial growth. The longer the hair in the photograph shown, the more masculine he was rated. And I think that's legit. I think that's a factor of health and appropriateness and virility. I think it's also a factor of diet and, you know, similar to the concern with, are we clean or are we not clean? There's also the question of, is your beard damaged, right? Do you have split ends? This is true for women as well who grow out long hair. Are you combing it? Are you brushing it? Are you washing it? And what do we say of a woman with long hair? Do we say that a woman with long hair is perceived as less clean or less hygienic or less healthy than a woman with short hair? I certainly don't. In fact, there's a certain kind of cleanliness and health, which is actually highlighted all the more if she has this long, beautiful hair and it's clean and it's healthy looking and it's well-combed or well-brushed or decorated. With men, if they have a long beard and it's well-maintained and it's consistent, that speaks to Yes, maturity, but a certain kind of maturity, a kind of maturity which speaks to, over time, being able to maintain themselves 
and take care of themselves. And that speaks to a kind of independence. Maybe in some cases, all the more if some folks feel threatened by them having a beard, sporting a beard, or a long beard, or a big beard. It speaks to a level of independence that they would say, no, I'm going to grow my beard, and I'm going to brush it, and I'm going to comb it, and I'm going to clean it, and I'm going to keep it, if you will. I think with regards to maturity, there's something inferred not just about aggression, but also about wisdom with regards to beards. Gandalf with a big beard cuts a very different figure in the Fellowship of the Ring than, let's say, the actor who plays Gandalf when you see him clean-shaven off camera. And also when you know Ian McKellen is uh, an open homosexual, unfortunately. Very sad, very unfortunate. But you don't get the impression that Gandalf with a long beard is disreputable. You get the impression that his having this big, long beard, maybe all the more, the more fighting he's done, more battles he's waged and won with the beard intact, he's proven himself. He's been tested and he's passed. And that is part of what goes into weighing and measuring how manly a man is. Now, that's not the only metric. It can't be the only metric. Other things have to be factored in as well. But from the standpoint of first impressions and enduring impressions and what kind of first impressions or enduring impressions we're trying to create, these things are relevant. They they go into the mix. They can't be all that goes into the mix. That would be ridiculous. But they should go in the mix. They should be part of what we factor into our consideration of ourselves and one another. What kind of fashion we ourselves advocate, prefer, model, endorse. Next section, Antonio writes about sociability and facial hair. While beards are associated with dominance, power, and maturity, on the flip side of the coin, that kind of masculine image can make people feel a bit intimidated. One study found that bearded men are perceived as 38% less generous, 36% less caring, and 51% less cheerful than their clean-shaven brethren, likely for the same reasons that beards are seen as a sign of aggression. Going beardless is often interpreted as a sign of being well-socialized and able to integrate with others. Breaking this down to any kind of alpha-beta male idea is oversimplifying. It has more to do with what makes a man look like he takes charge versus one who gets along well with others. Studies have found clean-shaven men to be more highly rated in terms of social skills than their bearded brethren, Based purely on still images, there was no actual observed socializing to base judgments on. And this is interesting. And actually, this does speak to why I sometimes occasionally will trim my beard short or shave it off entirely. Sometimes, strategically, not because I am just trying to um, people please, but because I am trying to take an active role in the perception others have of me through what I wear, how I talk, how I carry myself, how I interact, what I'm doing, also my facial hair and how I comb my hair, I will make a conscious decision to cut my beard shorter or to style it a little bit differently so as to modify or shake up or reset 
the impression that other people have of me. And I think that can be a legitimate tactic socially or take, for instance, starting a new job where you're going to be meeting a lot of new people and you don't want to, you don't want to be worried about whether you've got some hairs that are unusually long. So you're just going to do a quick uniform trim with a trimmer and then you trim too short. You can take an active role in what other people are going to think of you by taking care of your appearance, by creating that first impression, which even if over the course of No Shave November is going to be modified, see, that's even also too part of how you can manage the perception other people have of you is I want you to have the expectation of me that I'm growing, right? You see what I did there? It's not going to be as noticeable or as beneficial for you to see me growing in my new role if I'm coming in with a somewhat well-maintained beard and then it grows just a little bit incrementally over the next month. But if I come in having, for all intents and purposes, shaved off my beard, left a mustache and a soul patch, and then gradually over the next month or two months or three months, you're seeing my beard grow, you don't even have to necessarily consciously know that that is to be associated with my skills and my awareness of how to be a team with you guys, you know, is growing. But subconsciously, you will associate these things and it will work to your benefit and my benefit that you're recognizing growth in both areas and that there's a kind of parallel symbolism to my growth in both areas that keeps you from feeling like, oh man, so what is this guy not know these obvious things for, right? No, you'll be reminded actually when you come back into work on a Wednesday and the last time you saw me was last Thursday and I've been working remote since then, you'll be reminded, hey, you know what? This guy changing jobs is like him <laughs> shaving his face. It'll grow back, but you got to give it some time, right? His understanding of the team, it's a new team. So it's going to have to grow over time. His understanding of our systems, yeah, he was working with systems before, but it's a new system. These are new systems and it's going to have to grow over time. And I'm just going to have to be patient with that, right? Sociability might be a factor for a lot of people. And even that, I mean, you can, I think, say, I may disagree with this, but this is part of how other people perceive, in general, these fashion choices to communicate certain things about us. And so you could say strategically, hey, I need this new team that I'm going to be on to give me a chance at working together with them. And while we're getting off on the right foot, I'm going to try and make it easier for them to give me a chance and I'm going to put my friendliest, best foot forward. And then once I've proven to them that I want to work with them, I want to learn from them, I want to be considerate of them, I want to help them out, I want to watch their six, I want to be open to feedback from them. Well, then it won't be as alarming when they see me being more assertive, actually, it'll be all the more of a comfort because it goes back to what I was saying about 
if you're on the front lines of a protest, I respectfully disagree with Antonio here. If you're on the front lines of a protest and the people around you know that you're conducting yourself in an honorable way and you're assertive and you're masculine and you're a leader as it's perceived because of your facial hair, great, great. That's an asset, not a liability. Next section, Antonio writes about cleanliness and facial hair. Going clean-shaven gets you points for cleanliness, but beards aren't necessarily seen as sloppy. In another 2013 study, it was stubble that took the biggest knock for perceptions of health and cleanliness. A patchy light stubble was rated the lowest. Most viewers interpreted it as a sign that the wearer didn't groom regularly. That doesn't mean people found stubble inherently unattractive. Different studies have found different amounts of facial hair most attractive. More on that in a minute. But as far as the wearer's perceived health and cleanliness go, a clean shave is best, followed by a full beard. And that's interesting, right? So I'm right now in a bit of this um, stubble period of growth. And that's okay, right? I think that's okay in part because I have the soul patch still full and I've got the mustache still full and the stubble around it is, you know, it, it's given some grace, I think. Part of the reason why I don't shave off the mustache and the soul patch so much anymore is because this is right. If it's just stubble all the way around, it does not look as good. It looks like, well, I just, I'm too lazy to shave. When you've got a full beard, it's, it's more likely if you're maintaining that beard, combing it, cleaning it, all that, it's more likely people are not going to just say, oh, you're just, you know, too lazy to shave. In fact, they might say uh, just the opposite. If you have a well-maintained beard, they might recognize, hey, you know what? That actually takes more work to maintain and keep clean and keep well-groomed than just shaving it every day, you know, done. But the stubble thing, it could just be, you've had a bad week, right? They don't know. If they don't know you very well, You maybe you just had a bad week. So that's interesting. Next section, <clears throat> Antonio writes, so beards make you look like you're in charge, right? Do these perceptions mean every man should run out and grow a large beard so that everyone will see him as mature and that he doesn't take no for an answer and he's that type of a leader? Of course not. Being perceived as manly or dominant isn't always useful. Not all social settings call for an aggressive leader. The more socialized appearance of a clean shave might be more useful, for example, in job interviews where the interviewee will be expected to be part of a team when hired. Similarly, older men who already have a few signs of aging, wrinkles, gray hair, etc., don't need a beard to emphasize their maturity. They can sport a clean shave for the perceptions of health and youthfulness it brings and rely on the rest of their appearance and comportment to speak to their maturity. Okay, so what I don't love about this, what I don't love about this is the fact that it's true on some level, right? And what I mean by that is I'm not disputing, as I already said, with regards to trimming my hair before going into this new job this week, I don't like that these dynamics are in play. And I think this is in large part um, a factor of culture and that our culture could be better and stronger for us all together 
working against these dynamics in small ways, gradually over time, patiently, but nevertheless, being manly should always be useful for men. Full stop. If you're a man, be a man. And if a certain team doesn't value a man being a man, properly defined, of course, well, that's a problem, right? Let's suppose I'm being interviewed for some great position. And I think here of Edward Rutherford's novel, China, which I didn't love in part because there were some extended uh, chapters about this one character in particular, this Chinese man who wanted a job working for the emperor, essentially, or for the emperor's, uh, you know, primary concubine. And in order to get that job, he had to become a eunuch. And it's a very disturbing chapter when he becomes a eunuch. Very, very disturbing. But he goes through with it because he wants the job, because it pays really well, because it's going to be enabling him to provide for his family at a high level. And it's very prestigious. And it'll bring a lot of prestige to his family. His father is very against it, actually. Now, I don't I don't want you to go make all that money and have that prestige. I want you to continue on being a, a man. Give me grandchildren. You can't do that if you're a eunuch. So what do we say in that case? If men have to become eunuchs in order to be valued members of a team because their manliness is looked at as a liability instead of an asset. What I would say is, whenever possible, we should look to push back on that dynamic in our culture and in our society that asks men to give up on their manliness in order to be accepted. It's not toxic masculinity for men to say, I'm a man, and to embrace that. Actually, the toxic thing is that we would persecute men, drive men from society and from our institutions because they are men, because we feel threatened by that. That speaks to an inherent weakness in our institutions, in our culture, which if men go along with opting out as a result of, ultimately those institutions will die. It's just a question of when and how. Men are needed and the men need to be actual men. They need to be men, not eunuchs. And the beard, not by itself, but as part of a whole picture of embracing masculinity, when men are able to grow them, can be a symbolic way of communicating, no, I'm going to continue being a man. And that's not rebellious. That's not a lack of humility. That's not a lack of affability or consideration for others. If other people are demanding that you put aside being a man, being masculine, if they're insisting on making you into a eunuch in order to prove your humility, we really need to be going back to God's word and questioning, are we called to that by God? Is that a good, reasonable demand being placed on us as men. Moving on, facial hair and employment. Antonio writes, so let's talk about a key concern for a lot of men. Can you get a job with a beard? Can you keep a job with a beard? Will a beard get you fired even if it's not officially against company policy? These are common concerns, which by the way, small repetition. I hate, I hate that these are common concerns. I hate that. 
These are common concerns, Antonio writes, and they're not entirely misplaced. Employment and performance reviews are as much about unwritten rules as they are about written ones. And you are probably going to come across someone who has strong feelings about what is or isn't appropriate beardedness at some point in your life. So what's the long and short on beards in the workplace? A few scientific studies have looked specifically at employers when examining perceptions of facial hair. A 1990 survey of managers actually demonstrated a preference for beards. The participants looked at ink sketches of both bearded and clean-shaven men, and the managers rated bearded men as having a better personality, appearance, competence, and composure than unbearded men. That said, the men and women in that study were looking at idealized sketches. Beards were likely to look fuller, neater, and more perfect than they often do in person, so take it as an endorsement of very well-maintained beards and nothing more. A more recent study of HR professionals commissioned by Gillette found a strong preference for well-groomed candidates. Gillette's interpretation is that well-groomed meant clean-shaven, but the wording is ambiguous, and Gillette, a purveyor of grooming products, obviously has a horse in the race here. Stubble, however, was singled out as a red flag during job interviews, suggesting that it's better to be either clean-shaven or fully bearded for those. Perhaps most interestingly was a study that asked participants to both rate pictures of men and guess their occupation. Bearded men were rated as unconventional, but also as good, and were associated with less conservative careers like college professor and artist, while clean-shaven men were associated with jobs like lawyer, bank clerk, and politician. The takeaway for job interviews, you need either a clean shave or a very neat beard. Make sure the outlines are razor sharp, no pun intended, if you go bearded. For continuing employment, growing a beard should be safe in most professions and even beneficial. The exceptions are the most conservative and strictly traditional fields like law and finance. Stubble is never rated well in the workplace, however, so try to start your beard over a vacation or some other situation where you have enough time off to grow past the stubble phase before returning to work. Okay, so with this, yes, a well-maintained beard is better received than being clean-shaven. A well-maintained beard is more likely to be perceived as a characteristic of a good man. And we know that, right? We know that. You don't necessarily need scientific studies to feel it. But I think if you are looking at a Gillette study saying clean-shaven men, well-groomed men, are thought most highly of. I, you know, I think we need to be considering what actually does it mean to be well-groomed? I don't think razor thin or razor sharp uh, beard lines necessarily are always the best look. I think you can actually benefit a little bit to some degree from not looking razor sharp. And you have to be careful right? You have to be careful. But I've seen the super, super sharp beard lines on men. And I think that can look insecure and a little pompous and just odd and unnatural. And I think that can actually speak to a certain uptightness. What you want is discipline, right? You want your beard to speak to you being self-controlled and in control of yourself is really what that means. We say self-control, but to emphasize the point, you are in control of yourself. You are maintaining yourself. 
You are keeping a watch over yourself. You are considering how you present to other people. You're being intentional about that because you're trying to influence other people in a meaningful way, in a way that's beneficial to them and to you, and in a way ultimately that honors God. Does everything have to be perfect in the sense of razor sharp lines in order for that to happen? No, because that's not exactly an organic look. But I think finding a nice balance between things being uniform and them continuing to look organic is ideal for you to be approachable, actually. That's my opinion. That, that's what I think. But moving on. Facial hair, self-perception, and behavior. <clears throat> now, this is interesting. Facial hair, Antonio writes, can obviously affect the judgment, therefore the behavior, of people who see them, or it, I think would have been more correct. Sorry, Antonio. I think you've got a typo there. But what about the wearer? Turns out that having a beard on your face can change your own behavior and self-perception. It hasn't been researched all that extensively, but one study had clean-shaven men self-evaluate while wearing either fake beards, bandanas, or nothing at all on their head. The bearded group rated themselves as much more masculine than the other two groups, even though they knew the beards were fake. Just seeing the outline of hair on their faces made them think of themselves as more manly. As with appearance in general, self-perception does affect behavior. A man whose brain is telling him that he's manly is more likely to act in an assertive and dominant manner than those whose brain isn't receiving that signal. And that's just taking the visuals into account. Any man who's worn a beard knows that there's a secret satisfying pleasure in giving a, a scratch from time to time. So yes, sporting facial hair can affect your behavior if you're feeling like you need a little boost to your self-confidence and your assertiveness, a beard or mustache might be the way to go. Similarly, if you're struggling with anger management, a shave might be in order. And this gets into actually what I think is far more fascinating and far more compelling as far as reasons to groom your hair or be uh, intentional about how you groom your facial hair. Again, speaking to this question of self-control, control of self. Can it be manly for you to shave your face if that's to the end of self-control? Can that be a manly decision? I would say yes. Can that actually make you more compelling, more attractive, more personable, that you are self-controlled? Yes. Can it also make you more confident, more approachable, more compelling to have a beard and maintain it because that's what you're doing to have greater self-control. Yes. I, I think yes. The question is, do we perceive the need for we ourselves to be manly? And what I mean by that is, do we, do we see the value, men, do we see the value in, for our own sake, being men where God made us to be men? Do we see the value in that? Are we insistent that there is a value? Is there a question of faith with regards to our value, our role as men? And do we embrace that? Also, are we taking an active part in shaping the perception of the need for our manliness in the institutions we belong to or which belong to us in some sense? <laughs> That also 
has to be factored in if we're going to be self-controlled. Both ways, whether you're shaving or you're growing your beard out, whether you're grooming your beard this way or that way or some other way. If our reasons are to be more self-controlled, to meet our responsibilities before God and man, all I would ask is we're thinking holistically about what those are and how we are shaping those and not just following them. Are we leading those patiently in a composed way, but firmly? If we are, I am convinced that there's a benefit. There's a benefit to be had for all involved, unless we're just, you know, against it. And someone's trying to do that in our midst and they feel threatened. Well, there might not be a benefit for that person who is against it, who feels threatened by it. But that's on the person who is rebelling against the goodness of God's original design at core. If they're jealous, if they're envious, if they feel threatened by there being somebody who is more assertive, but is behaving themselves, being honorable, that is not an issue with the beard or lack thereof. That's an issue with the insecure person, the jealous person, the rebel, if you will. If you will. Okay, so last but not least, Antonio writes about beards and sex appeal. And I quote, we've saved the best for last because this is what you really want to know. Will a beard help you with women? Sorry, guys, there is no definitive answer. You know how you can ask different girls about your beard and get different responses. Try it if you haven't. The same is true for society in general. Some people just like beards more than others. That said, we do have some general trends for you. Studies have indicated that women find facial stubble the most attractive look when it comes to facial hair. One study went a step further, separating light stubble from heavy stubble, at which point women found heavy stubble the most attractive and light stubble the least. Call it the no peach fuzz please value judgment. Unsurprisingly, women found men with facial hair more masculine than men without, likely tied to the idea that greater masculinity equals better provider. Women rated men with full beards as most likely to have good parenting skills. Clean-shaven and full-bearded men were rated higher on personal cleanliness than men with stubble of any length. So long story short, how facial hair will help you in your quest for love depends largely on the sort of partner and relationship you're looking for. Thank you very much, Antonio. If you want to settle down and have kids and are looking for someone that feels the same, a full beard might be best. If you're just flirting and having fun, a few days of stubble will work better, but make sure it's thick and even. Interestingly, Research has shown that in a favorable marriage market, men are more likely to grow beards while they are less likely to do so in a tougher market. This has led researchers to conclude that men shave in the hopes of making themselves seem safer and more approachable to women. All in all, at the end of the day, remember that outliers happen. These are social trends, not fixed rules. Some people are going to have very strong opinions about beards and some aren't. You'll find out which are which the same way the rest of life works. Trial and error and lots of patience. Okay, so that's the end of it. That's the end of the article. A few things, a few things to say on this last question of facial hair and sex appeal. So what I would say to my sons, for instance, all the rest of you, you can sit in on the advice and it applies to you 
as well, but I'll speak specifically to my sons. Don't go shopping around for girls as entertainment, as accessories. Don't go making your face look a certain way because you want to be able to date lots of cute girls and you can't settle down and you can't commit. Whether you're shaving your face, whether you're growing out a beard, whether you're going with a heavy stubble, thorough and even throughout, the big idea ought to be pursuing God's vision for your life with your utmost ability. So turning this around, if you will, let's suppose several years from now, you've got your own place, you've got your own vehicle, you've got a stable job, you're paying your bills, and some friend of yours says, hey, you know, I've got a party that we've been invited to, you want to come with me? You go, and you're introduced to two young ladies, both you know, polite, well-spoken, that cancels out. Both, you know, pretty faces, good senses of humor, generally speaking. One of them is very intent on having a stellar career in the working world, breaking glass ceilings, becoming the CEO of a company, short, you know, cute. Sure. Girls can have short hair and it can be cute, but short hair, very businesslike because her goal is to make it in the corporate world, to get that brass ring, to prove that she can keep up with the boys and be a great manager, a captain of industry. Cute as a button, very intelligent, very pleasant, but you know that, right? Very shortly into the conversation, you know what her goals are. And the other gal, her friend, long hair, not over concerned with the latest fashion, but fashionable, feminine. You talk with her. What's she doing? What's she involved with? She's volunteering. She helps out at church. She likes to read. She plays an instrument. She goes on missions trips. Odds are high. You should be with the second kind of girl who is waiting for the good Lord to make known to her whether she'll marry and who the Lord has for her to marry. She hopes and prays to be a mother someday, to love her husband well, to raise children with her husband in the Lord's good timing. Which of those two gals would it be wise for you to have have an ongoing conversation with? I'll put it that way. Which of those would it be wise for you to exchange email addresses with or maybe get to know better? What's her theology? What's her outlook on life? What are her parents like? What are her siblings like? And you know what? I don't think you should style your facial hair specifically in some kind of a desperate, insecure bid to get that cow. But do I think it can be a legitimate factor in your thinking that you would sport a full beard because you're trying to send signals to the one kind of gal who wants a husband and children in the Lord's good timing? I, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely I do. Do I think it actually might be in your best interest if that same beard and those same signals 
the first gal is going to feel threatened by, um, yeah, it might be, it might actually do you favors as well that you don't get sidelined with her. Just saying. Not to say that girl number two couldn't be working, couldn't have a good education, but it is to say, in terms of goals, men and women alike, but especially men, need to go back to the word and look at what is God's vision for us to be his glory in reflecting his image, being bearers of his image as male and female, because it doesn't look identical when we're male or female. It doesn't. It doesn't according to God's word. I think a beard, just like fashion sense, just like what you do for a living, just like how you carry yourself, just like how you communicate, just like your handwriting or what you drive or what your hobbies are, just like all of those things can communicate certain things about you. Well, so also your facial hair. So what are you communicating? That's the big question. That's the big question I'll leave you with. Not saying you have to be able to grow a beard or you have to grow a beard in order to be serving the Lord. But it is to say you should be intentional about it. And I, I, I'll stand by that. I think you should be intentional about it. And I think it can be very much a legitimate piece of embracing what God has for you. Lastly, before we go... Here's the bonus question I was alluding to at the top of this episode. Would you say you know any humble people? And if so, if you do know some people who are humble, who you would call humble, how do you know they're humble and that it's a genuine humility? That's my big question, and I'd like to delve into that in a future episode, maybe coming down the pike here shortly. There's several I've alluded to in this one uh, that I would like to touch on more in depth, but just didn't for the sake of time in this one. But this is one that you can put on the list. I would love to hear from you if you know some genuinely humble people and they're not just what? Insecure, right? Insecurity is not necessarily the same thing as humble. Uh, Or I guess That would be the second part of the question. How do you know when someone is truly humble and they're not just insecure or nervous around others? That question comes to me from someone else who asked me the question. I figured I would pass it along. I'll give it some thought. You also give it some thought. Let me know what you think. But Lauren and I, several of the kids have been feeling under the weather. We are feeling under the weather this morning. I hate to say it. So I'm going to go have some breakfast, have some coffee, see how everybody's doing. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless.
You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.